This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I'm fed up. Sick of this shit. Hearing people whinging all day long, it rubs off on me, brings me down. Sometimes I just want to say, shut the fuck up, you whiny bitch. I'm going to knock it on the head soon. Do a podcast with Ratty and the nonce, people will pay for that. Spending this fucking bollocks. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, your host and uh, editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for episode 104 of the My Old Man Said podcast, the podcast that gives you a little bit extra smarts, humour, above that cookie-cutter-type podcast. Joining me to deliver the goods, Mr. Dan Rogers of TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Two shows in a row. It's uh, it's quite astonishing. And also, Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome, Hello. Mr. Budd. Thank you, Mr. Michael. Uh, thank you very much. How are you faring up? Don't tell me that you've been productive making music, Chris Budd. You need to come with something original this time. I've done two hit workouts so far this week. <laughs> Three walks. Thank you very much. I've done two chip workouts, if that's any. <laughs> like it. <laughs> And I had my first trip to uh, to see the Colonel today as it's reopened by me. Oh, no. <laughs> Necessary journey. Eh, borderline, but... The Colonel? KFC, David. Oh, God, I haven't been in one of those for fucking years. Apologies to all the KFC fans. Uh, he misses the taste of the Villa dog down his throat and he just had to go in for some of that Get gravy the closest, juice. <laughs> the closest substitute. Yeah, it was the gravy juice that did it. <laughs> 
ground up brains and arseholes. Mm. Uh, right, moving on uh, swiftly. Coming up in the show, we uh, take a look at uh, what's been happening in terms of Villa news. Uh, first of all, mainly uh, Villa personnel doing interviews. Mr. Perslow, Mr. Smith, uh, Mr. Hurrahan earlier on uh, in the week all had something to say about various different things. Uh, In the three points, we discuss equal pay as the US women uh, get kicked out of court as they try to uh, get that sanction for the US team. We also look at the start of like feeble attempts to try to replicate supporters in stadiums. We look at the uh, the Atmos fan app and finish uh, with uh, a football player that seems to be having some kind of... uh, withdrawal symptoms from lockdown and has been on more than one occasion been caught masturbating in public outside his front door which (laughs) (laughs) just couldn't wait to put the key in the door and get in Uh, it's just average days lockdown exercise for chris budd isn't it (laughs) it's a common problem popping out to stretch the muscle muscles muscles (laughs) i told you i was doing a hit workout Whack, whack away. Yeah, a bit of a problem in Sutton Coalfield area, mm. for sure. Mm. Uh, then we'll get into uh, some question and answers. <laughs> uh, we'll have a little Q&A session. Uh, and then we'll go, I mean, this is just an excuse to uh, do underrated and overrated, really. So uh, a couple of uh, outsiders in there. And then we'll also discuss Darren Bent as well. In terms of uh, legend of fraud or... Pharaoh or furlough or whatever we want to call it. We'll discuss Mr. Dion Dublin and uh, establish where we class him in terms of the pantheon of uh, villa heroes. Right, let's get into this. Uh, first thing off the bat, uh, I mean, we've discussed this in the last podcast. Uh, we gave our views about uh, what we think should happen. The same thing is, uh, in our opinion, is to void the season. I mean, all you have to, I mean, I've put it out uh, in various different guises uh, over the last week on the website and on social media, the fact that the Premier League's first rule in their handbook regarding uh, the concept of the league that rule uh, i think it's on page 101 of the handbook c1 each club shall play two league matches against each other club each season being the home club in respect of one such league match and the visiting club in respect of the other so in terms of uh, what happens i think you know in terms of competition integrity i think you've got to respect the rules that's uh, for the starter and uh, the first person to really uh, from the, the Villa HQ to express an opinion uh, is Mr. Perslow, and he's just stating pretty much what most Villa fans have been saying. Uh, he said, we've got six home games left to play, and I think any Villa fan would agree that giving up that advantage is a mis- massive decision for somebody running Aston Villa. I mean, this is six home games out of 10 games left. Mm. We've got a game in hand. That is at home as well. As soon as you start talking about neutral grounds, you're throwing away our main reason mm-hmm. that we were going to stay in the league, and mm-hmm. that was to have a crowd behind us at Villa Park playing more home games. Traditionally, teams win more home games. And uh, if you can't do that, then why would any, as he says, uh, anybody running a club say, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll, we'll uh, give up uh, that, what you would consider the, the rules of the game so we can increase our chances of getting relegation and entering into uh, financial ruin, potentially. Well, he, he called it a, a 200 million catastrophe relegation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, to be fair to Perslow, I think that he's um, 
he's probably exactly the man I'd want sort of squirrelling away behind the scenes on this, really. <laughs> yeah. It'd be an absolute nightmare. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's right. He is absolutely right. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I stand by what I said last week, that the, the league should be voided for the reasons that you say, and that's not just a Villa-tinted view either. I think that no. this is about integrity. It's about the competition. Um, neutral venues, for, for the reasons you just said. And, and if they're going to go down this route of like <laughs> dispensing with all the things that make it a competition... What's the point? You might as well just put it down to an algorithm and start awarding the, the goals, points and and decide it on paper. I mean, they're, they're starting to frame articles now. I, mm. I mean, I saw this even on the BBC where they where it's where it's said, if if you don't accept neutral grounds, then the season's over. It's like, how can you try to blackmail people mm. into being the spoil sports when they're actually standing on the integral ground of Let's finish integrity? The- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're actually trying to finish it in the way that it was intended or not at all. It's like, well, yeah, yeah the- it's, and it's the light. It's this, everything is veiled under uh, our sporting integrity. Like all of a sudden you've got teams who are in the top six slamming the teams in the bottom six for saying, well, hang on a minute. We don't want to give away what little advantage we do have to, to help you guys. It's like, why on earth should we? I mean, like from a sporting point of view, I, obviously I'd much rather Villa stay in the division by warranting it, earning it and doing it the traditional way. But if you can't do that, to be brutally honest, fuck them. I don't care. You do what you have to do to achieve what you want to achieve. I would rather, you know, have a Villa website and podcast talking about the games, you know, these last 10 games and not running a car Mm. on empty, so Mm. to speak. But fundamentals, if this was a law case, statute law says this league to be what it is, you know, what, what it pertains to be, you have to play home and away. That's the whole idea of a fucking league table. That's how you can't switch it halfway through. Fair enough if you want to start next season playing all the games at neutral venues. That's fair enough because that's how the league starts and that's how it's determined. You can't, It's like if you want to boil it right down, it's like playing that League Cup semi-final, two legs against Leicester. So you play the first leg away, mm. so they've had their advantage. You're about to play the home leg and they go, oh, sorry, virus. We're going to have to play the second leg at a neutral venue. Now, how does that work out as fair? It doesn't. It's not. But we want to finish it. We want to play at the neutral venue because we want to screen it on TV and, and make sure that everybody gets paid. Well, you know, fuck off, basically. Yep. I'm happy to stick behind that sign and hang that from the whole end on a bedsheet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nothing to do uh, with integrity. Do not believe money, that money, bullshit. Money, 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 money. No, it's money. Yeah, you got, you got the scouts are saying, oh, it's, it's, it's an integrity thing if we don't get to win the league. And you think, well, yes, guys, but in the event that you do win the league, everybody knows that you'll lift the trophy in an empty stadium. That won't be a good moment. And then you'll probably have about 30,000 fans outside all giving each other germs like they were at the right, at the Atletico Madrid game. <laughs> no fucking open top bus through the streets of Liverpool as well. And so. when people, or when that happens and they do all that and people start dying again, mm. it won't be their fault. They'll be blaming, oh, it's the Premier League's fault for letting us play the matches. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways, guys. Or, you know, Man United saying, oh, we had a fair shot. We would have got top four. It's a guarantee guarantee we would have like well is it you know or any number of teams Wolves fans could say the same in Europe it's just bad luck and it's unfortunate but void is void and people have you know over 30,000 just in this country have died so I mean as as I said in an article uh, you'll get a visualization next season empty stadiums next season that will be a visualization of how many people have died Mm. of this Mm. disease every stadium you go to to put it in tangible terms the amount of people that have died would fill St Andrews or the Hawthorns. 
That's probably probably an underestimation as well. You know, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a serious thing. And we're talking about this point in time. By the time mm. you see these games on TVs behind closed doors, these empty stadiums will be symbolic of how many people have died. And you know, Liverpool traditionally have been like the biggest victims of health and safety neglect in you know in the history of football. Yeah, yeah. So this whole integrity thing, it's uh, you know, it's this is sacrificing all rational thought to get yeah. a money grabbing machine back back running. And yeah. and any I, I will take some convincing for anyone with a brain, frankly, that this, that that isn't the sole objective here. You don't see any anything else clamouring for for a restart like 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 the Premier League and some of the other no. top divisions, and that's because it's a money machine. Yeah, I mean, I saw the the daily briefing today, and obviously they're allowed to have a couple of questions from the general public, and for the first time, someone asked a question that was really linked to the football world and and its context, and someone said, "Well, hang on a second, guys." Why is the government allowing football to be put front and centre when it clearly isn't a priority? Absolutely. Yet, I'm not allowed to go to church mm-hmm. or friends of mine who are in Ramadan aren't allowed to go to their mosque. Yet, that is a central part of their life. And religion has been on this earth a few thousand years, probably <laughs> longer than the Premier League. You know, you're in the music industry, in the gig world, and there's no prospect of that reasonably reconvening anytime soon. And literally, Dan, it's not even a conversation. It's not, well, it's oh, be- when can we start playing gigs? Everyone's like, we're not going fucking near a venue. It isn't even on the radar. People are, are, are just bending over backwards. And, and half of it, you suspect, is uh, just media stories for the sake they need stories or else suddenly they're all twiddling their thumbs. So you're going to get a lot of stuff that you're reading out there is not even in the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. But this notion, uh, I forgot what minister said it, where, I mean, we, we actually commented on this uh, in the last podcast. So it's some, you know, it's a diatribe that's been repeated about lifting the uh, spirit of the nation. Well, newsflash, this is, we're talking mid-May coming up and that's the end of the season anyway. So this point of time, normally people are looking at the summer, they're looking at the fucking sun in the sky to lift their spirits and nobody's thinking about football. They're thinking about, they're looking forward to August when it kicks off again. Now, rationally, all that shit that you've got to sort out to get this season up, to get football up next season, why don't you buy yourself that time and use those couple of, you know, two or three months to sort it all out so we mm-hmm. can start the season properly in August rather than trying to crowbar in uh, just because you need to, uh, you know, make up three quarters of a billion or whatever. Something stupid. Which you could negotiate by uh, the extra TV games they're going to get next season anyway. You can, you know, do a bit of compensation over maybe in the next two or three seasons. There's a bit of pressure where they look at Germany and they see the Bundesliga being given the green light this week. But you look at how Germany has handled uh, COVID compared to the UK. You look at how many deaths there has... And you realise there's a society that have handled it a lot better. Simple. It's yeah. Well, they're testing half a million, half a million people a week, and we're fabricating testing a hundred thousand when we're not. End of. Going on to uh, Smith was interviewed as well. He was just kind of a bit wishy-washy on things, and uh, I mean, not his fault because you know what's he going to say about anything in terms of like continuing the season? He said we have a, a duty. But I, I don't. I don't agree in that. This is a unprecedented circumstance, and uh, as we've been banging the drum, there's more important things, mm. and uh, you know, it compromises everything. He's, he's looking at this as if we do continue, it'll be like starting a second season. And he said we'd always be better in the second season. I mean, that's something uh, we've always said on this podcast. This season would be a transition because mm. you've sent a lot of young players finding your feet. And as I've said, uh, another example of why. W- 
Villa as a football club should not compromise in terms of uh, if the Premier League is breaking their own rules. If, for example, they voided the season and they said, right, that's the table as it stands, Aston Villa, sorry, you're down. Look at the example of Leicester. 2014 stroke 15 after 29 games they were bottom of the li- they were freshly promoted like we and Norwich are 29 games gone bottom of the league seven points cut adrift so in a worse position than Norwich and Villa are at this stage Pearson there was rumors that he was fired but then he was reinstated so if they stopped the season then and the Premier League said to Leicester ah, you're relegated nobody bats an eyelid because they're freshly promoted club they've been bottom they you know they cut adrift by seven points adios next season they're in the championship well in reality uh, obviously there was uh the the season continued i think they got 22 points out the last 27 Mm. stayed up finished 14th next season they win the premier league Mm. so (laughs) this is football this is why we like football this you, you can't predict things and this is why they do have to seriously when they void it it's you've got to start again and with you know for example if they cancel the champions league then they can just reinstate the teams who qualified last season and give give them a second yep. crack at the whip yep. it's as sim- yep. simple as yep. that the other interview of note was uh, mr connor hurahan who was uh speaking to a local media in uh, west cork where he's from i mean i, I thought he was quite insightful uh, initially i mean i listened to it and he initially said about uh behind the scenes in terms of ending the season that the preference seems to be about having a clean season next season the 2021 mm. is the one that's uh, taking precedent so he seemed to be not expecting this season to uh, start but then suddenly in the last few days you know it's been gaining some momentum that there is a chance of it restarting again then he dropped this clangor about Grealish saying uh, his big move is anytime soon and uh, he's too good for a team like Aston Villa a lot of people defending him have said uh, he was just referring to this team but you know how it sounds and how it comes out it's he's he's basically showing a lack of ambition Mm. And the irony is, this is the guy that chastised somebody on Twitter who uh, once upon a time when he was at Plymouth said he would never play in the Premier League. And, you know, he brought that one up. And this is a kind of the same thing because he's, he's, he should show more ambition than than that. And I think if it was an Aston Villa interview, you'd you'd ask him, and what, what do you mean by that? And then he would probably give some context and uh, probably backtrack. But on, you know, this cork interview that you know they just let it fly and then obviously the uh the clickbait vultures swoop in and uh there you go it's and but the people are saying oh yeah it's just it's, you know good of him to be honest and it's great of him to be honest but it was like it was like something you don't say i'm sure perslo smith uh wouldn't be very happy about him saying that because it is essentially saying we're not good enough for grealish well the collective and even mm. his teammates are just saying connor shut up like yeah. Don't do interviews that you don't need to do. Like at this point in time, if you're going to have a public forum, use it for like a good work or say nothing. Yeah, because Villa at the moment, it's, we're in that transitional season. So it doesn't really matter where we are, but you can't judge us where we are. You know, everybody's looking at the table and going, oh, fucking Villa, their shit. And, you know, the casual fans going, oh, fucking Villa, their shit. But, you know, look at Leicester. They were in an sh- even shitter position. And the next season, bang. And we did it when we came up with Graham Taylor. Got promoted. Next season, we escaped relegation by one point. Next season, we're challenging for the title against Liverpool. And you can see, you know, Villa have been, as we've said, they've been competitive. and But they've been naive. So you get rid of that naivety. You get a couple of more key players, maybe a couple of, you know, experienced, proper players that are up for it. And you can have a seismic shift in fortune. That was one thing, actually. Um, in, in Smith's interview I saw, I think it was last week or the week before with the club, 
he'd said sort of um, you know retrospectively now that maybe in hindsight we uh, we should have probably got a bit more Premier League experience into the team. I was like, yeah. ah, so you are admitting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, uh, you know, I think is bang on, really. I think but- that's the big thing, though, is I think, you know, Horahan has won, will have learned from the experience. Smith, I'm sure, you'd like to think will have learned from this period. And all the players, I think, you'd you'd like to think they've had such a long time away. You know, they haven't had holidays. It's not like they've been going to, you know, Dubai or Marbella getting smashed with their mates. They've had a lot of time to just reflect and analyse and you know, really learn and take stock of what's happened this season, the things they've done well and the yeah. you know long list of things they haven't done well. Anyway, let's uh, crack on uh, on to the three points. Point number one: a non-COVID related story. You'll Hurrah. be glad to Hurrah. hear. The US women actually they've they've been on this. I think it's a four-year legal campaign against the United States Soccer Federation about getting equal pay. This is something that permutates throughout society, and uh, women have been getting uh, more success in other areas. But football's, uh, it's almost like would be the last stand in terms of uh, if they could pull it off here, then it's then it would be a massive coup. And I think the US, their women's team is actually more celebrated than their men's team. So in terms of creating a precedent, although it's not exactly a precedent, as I will explain, but defeated, and I think the lawsuit continues because there's other things like uh, I think they're going to court on a separate trial regarding uh, the treatment they get in terms of like hotel accommodation, staffing, travel. So that trial uh, begins on June where they want to up that kind of thing on par with the men's US team. Uh, I mean, in in terms of English football, it's a complicated thing because obviously it's a different hemisphere, isn't it, in terms of the men's game generating a a shitload more wealth than the women's game, so it's hard to justify. Uh, You just wouldn't make economic sense for women football club players, for example, to be on the same as men. And also, that said, not all men are on the same pay, are they? It's uh, an economic decision that's not Mm -hmm. really related to gender. I mean, that said, though, in Australia last year... Australian women were given equal pay to their Australian men's team. And also that goes across the board in terms of, uh, you know, international travel. They now, you know, get business class and all the same kind of operational support as the men's team does. And I think internationally you could do that because I don't think England players get paid a shitload of money, do they? Don't they generally give their uh, match fees to charity? Exactly. They normally donate it. So I think internationally, I think there's definitely grounds. I mean, in terms of the, the women's team, uh, the men's team do fuck all. It, the international team and, you know, the US team is uh, in terms of PR and acclaim across the world, it actually got serious traction uh, when they won their like second World, consecutive World Cup. But I think that the uh, the fact that the Austra- Australia has already done it, there's certainly a precedent there for the uh, USA team to kind of push on at least. So it'll be interesting to see what actually transpires there ultimately. But it's never going to happen uh, in terms of Premier League uh, in our lifetime, I would say. Moving on. Uh, so you've got uh, the prospect of games without fans. And uh, Germans always ahead of the curve on things, it seems. Uh, some companies got an app called My Applause, which... Uh, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> it's, it's so <laughs> Does it have to be almost. applause? Is- <laughs> <laughs> so essentially this app, uh, you sign up. Uh, the, the talk is that they would probably do it for free in the first season. I mean, there's different ways you could do it. If the league says, yes, we like the idea, they'll, you know, it'll be across the board. Or the uh, the app, 
creator is thinking about just, uh, I think they've already approached your Manchester United, your Arsenal's, Liverpool's. Uh, I think actually Manchester City, not Manchester United. So uh, so the idea is you get an app, you sign in. Uh, I think once it gets up and running, uh, they hope to be like charging one pound, I think, to uh, sign in on the app. And then you have... <laughs> I think, yeah, this on this one I'm looking at, you have four options. You can cheer, you can clap. These are big buttons. You can sing or you can whistle. Mm. Now, I don't know if they're just generic sounds that you just press and it goes, and I think it's like within a tenth of a second or something, it gets beamed through the, uh, I don't know if it's through the speakers at the stadium or if it's just sound on the TV. I mean, you know, we, we, we spoke last week about the, I think yeah. it's the Bundesliga with the plastic cutout fans as well, isn't yeah. it? The, I wonder whether they could beam our beam my my gear through my plastic cutout face on the whole end it's it's bizarre this surreal world we're now in there's so habit. much room for a misinterpretation for instance if i click clap but they get the wrong clap it's not a positive one it's my <laughs> ironic slow hand clap get it right yeah it, it's i think it's just will, will create lameness it will i think it'll be the, lame it's like this concept where they go, oh, yeah, that'd be good, that'd be good, but it's not real football. Canned laughter equivalent, It's isn't not it? real football people who are designing this. It's just people who think, yeah, yeah, we need, we need to make the product, we need to make the content better, the product, the content. It's like when you hear American fans trying to give opposition fans abuse in the stadium. Oh, it no. just comes out horrifically cringe. Fight and win! Fight and win! Sorry, dude. <laughs> And you've got, I mean, but meanwhile, I think they should take a look at what's, what was happening in uh, South Korea a couple of years ago, where a baseball team, I think, struggled to have fans. I can't remember what, why they came up with this, but they created robot fans. <laughs> so they'd have lo- loads of robot Love fans it. in the stadiums. And fans would be able to actually uh, pay to have their faces on. These robots had screens as faces, so you can have your face on that screen. So I don't know if you're at home with your, with your phone and you just put your, ca- you know, your front-facing camera on. That's my dream, David. You've just and described. And so <laughs> the camera is on your face, and your face comes on that screen on your robot that's in the stadium to send my robot r- limbs when we score. <laughs> just smash those seats up. <laughs> I'd want if to be like could, a Terminator-esque. Well, no, this is what I'm thinking. I mean, like, <laughs> big problem with hackers around the world on, on many levels. If you can hack into those robots, weaponize them. <laughs> streaker. You'd be having, robot streaker. Or a robot, <laughs> robot wars, I'm thinking about. It's going to be carnage. Never mind robot hooligans, robot wars. Yeah, robot streaker. What else could you have? Pitch invasion. That'd be great for them, wouldn't they? Just trash the Like pitch. a good old-fashioned robot dog running onto the pitch randomly. That's what <laughs> I I'd like be. like it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, apps that you just press and, and it makes a clapping sound. Of, no, no, not oh, for me. it'd be cringe. Apps on your phone that control your robot in the stadium. Yes. That's, that's yeah, some, that's an a, app. I'm going I'm to call it footballheckle.com. Yes. Fanbot. That would just be making football great again if you could control your own robot in, in the stand. <laughs> Not to be confused with Fembot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, Austin Powers. <laughs> Good old Liz Hurley. But no, there's, there's, uh, I think they should go down the robot route. More expensive, yeah. but you know, yet more You've got to invest you, but... in these things. You have a dream. You've got to have a dream. <laughs> You've got to have an end goal with all of this, haven't you, really? Speaking of end goals, this is biz- the bizarre story of uh, Angers, winger, Farid, I think he's a Algerian international, Farid El Melali was arrested. This is, uh, I think it was on the day that he renewed his contract with Angers, the uh, Ligue, Ligue 1 club. 
and was caught masturbating outside his house, I think in his driveway. And, uh, you know, the neighbours, you know, said he exposed himself outside. Now, allegedly, this is not the first time this has happened. And uh, his uh, lawyer said, well, he wasn't targeting anybody and wasn't aggressive towards anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That was his defence. Why is the dartboard for when he has a wank? Mm, Yeah, interesting. Uh, However, he did, uh, the forward did admit an inappropriate attitude when questioned by police, saying he thought he was alone in the courtyard of a building in question i.e. his house hmm. he was released but will face trial in terms of appearance <laughs> prior to an admission of guilt but yeah i think they he, he wasn't uh sentenced the first time he did it because they, they couldn't prove it was him <laughs> they, they, they couldn't find the uh, the tissue <laughs> but yeah i don't know if, is this coronavirus uh did he lock himself out of lockdown or something I, i've got no idea see if i've had my fan bot my fan bot could have been peering through the gates of his private residence aha and you and could have videoed it for the uh, yeah. evidence. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what that's what it would have been for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and released it on uh, Pornhub just to get a bit of extra cash to afford to pay for your fan bot. Yes, yes, to pay for my my slow exactly. hand clap at Villa Park, at Norwich. <laughs> go go gadget middle finger. <laughs> go go gadget. Go go Gabby. Gabby the monosyllabic robot. Uh, right, moving on. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you uh, to the My Old Man Said patrons. Thank you very much uh, for sticking around through uh, these difficult times. I appreciate some patrons have uh, stepped down recently because of personal circumstances. I know you know people have lost their jobs and completely understand that. So, but also at the same time, I want to thank you, uh, Julian Barr and Nicholas Foskett for signing up. And also uh, when you get people upping their pledges, uh, it, there's nothing better and nothing more motivating. It really kind of lifts the mood and helps you uh, keep going. So thank you very much to Phil Hood and Adam Austin uh, in the past week for upping their pledges as well. Uh, as I announced on the Patreon feeds, uh, winners of the uh, Kappa Combat shirt, which uh, I think values £90. I don't know how they get away with 90 English 90 pounds. pounds. Not in my world of future world of robots. There won't be such no, a thing. Well done to Willis Moore for winning that. And also uh, the second only My Old Man Said Cushion wow. uh, will be off to uh, Martin uh, Jutteland. What, give me give me a Norwegian accent. Jutteland. Martin Jutteland in Norway will uh, receive the cushion. So there'll be one in the UK and one in Norway. And uh, I'm just waiting for a sample to uh, see if we can... Uh, knock these out as merchandise we shall see the idea is to do because the uh the podcast cover is essentially an album cover it's uh rolling stones beggars banquet i want to do uh, a cushion the size of an album cover so uh, watch out to see if that materializes uh just wish they'd fucking hurry up sending them <laughs> But anyway, thank you very much uh, for the patrons. If you want to sign up, and uh, that will give, make me very happy every time I see an email or anybody signs up, please do go to myomansaid.com and check out the patron links for more information on the website. And drop me a line if you have any questions. Right, uh, moving on. Uh, we're just going to blaze through these. Just a few uh, questions and answers before we get on to underrated and overrated, It's which is why the three of us are here sitting uh, in these... Uh, nighttime hours wanting to get stuck into uh, Matteo Burson, <laughs> Darren Bent and Mr. Neil Lamperty. But first of all, some quick fire questions. Uh, Dixon my ass one. What's this from? In- Instagram. 
<laughs> says, who is your favorite Villa player that's ever played for Villa? Do we know any Villa players that have played for Villa? <laughs> <laughs> All my favorite Villa players have been loan players. Um, <laughs> Jermaine Dan, James. who's your favorite Villa player? It changes every week. At the moment, my favorite <laughs> Villa player that's ever played for Villa is Dwight York. No. Huh? Chris Bird. I'm going to go the same. What? You can't go to the same. Me and, me and Dan are from the same area. We're allowed. <sighs> I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I'll go Gary Shaw. Because uh, the love of Gary Shaw was intense when I was a kid. <laughs> gold machine. <laughs> gold machine. Blonde hair, gold machine. But, you know, he, he was like, uh, he was like the real deal. As in, like, when he was 19, he scored like 19 goals in a season. And, you know, what's Jack Grealish doing? What's he really doing? What's he really doing? Hmm, hmm. And he was lifting, you know, league titles and European Cups. Like uh, you do. Anyway, two with the Dwight York, one with the Gary Shaw. Jay Smith, AVFC, says, if the season restarts, will Villa stay up? Fucking better. It's not fucking restarting. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> me, there's me personally we've just drawn a big fucking line in the sand and we're saying it's not restarting if it does restart I, I, I don't know if I care anymore if, if, they, <laughs> if they restart neutral grounds and that, that just proves it's they don't a give a fuck about anything well, they don't give a fuck about fans that's for sure yeah I just, I just won't care but like, whatever happens happens now if the season restarts well, I, I, I'm not even going to entertain <laughs> it restarting David has voided the question that is that's how principled I am. Chris, what about you? Uh, heart says yes, head says no. I think we would go down. <laughs> a you bunch of cunts. It's ambition that we've got, David. Don't mistake our ambition. That parachute payment's worth a lot of money. If uh, yeah, but I, I think you f- might find them uh, changing uh, because of this. Think of how many Henry Lansburys we can buy. Oh, but uh, that's I think the dream, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted to frame the question, if we were allowed to play six home games with a crowd, I think we 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 have a chance of staying up. I think I think Especially that's with the, the break. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Fresh that team. We would stay. We would up, lose. My... We would lose our, our opportunity to fight like lions. <laughs> because you just look at how many of the great comeback stories because you know it's it's football law if you've got a half decent team and we've shown it in in you know it's in spits you'd have McGinn back you'd probably have Heaton uh, maybe if they if they delayed this long enough but you'd have a team laser focused on winning a game and staying mm-hmm. up you know West Brom pulled out miracles Leicester we've already mentioned this stuff happens a lot you know David Pleats skipping down the line with Luton and we're not in that territory of it wouldn't be like a great escape I mean we've only recently dropped we haven't been in the bottom three much this season I mean I don't know how we've managed to float above the relegation zone <laughs> but we, we have but anyway that's so I, I think I, I would draw the line I say I'm not even I would I'd be one of those kids who just I'd take my ball and walk away if they wanted to carry on playing <laughs> I mean the only way the only way you continue this season in any shape or form that's equal is you wait. You wait until it's possible to do it properly. March, then. you know, mm. the fixtures next year and you continue the season. But mm-hmm. do you really want to do that? Because then you've, you've lost a whole season's money. You're basically giving up the 2021 season. And that is more profitable to a club than the last, you know, nine, ten games of, of this season, surely. So I can't see that. But that is the only way you do it so it abides by the rules, is you continue the season. This time next year, hopefully you'll be able to get some kind of fans there. But I, I, even that, I don't know if it's a reality. Will fans be uh, in stadiums this time next year? Mm. Not, you know, it's 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 not a, a defo. It's, it's not a given if we have a winter resurgence no. into that puts us where we are now and beyond. 
and you never know what the next waves are going to be like. Nope. Uh, but anyway, let's not get uh, doomy. Uh, Matty uh, Reynolds asks, and I think I answered this uh, with what I just I like said. This question: Should the players refuse to play if football is started? Yes, absolutely, wholeheartedly. Mm, absolutely, yes, yeah. from me. Yeah, if you don't feel safe, you don't go on the field. You don't go to training. You know, well, everyone's at, everyone's from the, at risk and that's from, from this. The individual. They can they yeah, can offer individual case. All they can offer is testing. Well, testing for for catching a, a very very dangerous illness that you could give to anyone. For you know, it's. Pfft. Well, that's yeah. not that's not adequate protection. That's just confirming that the worst has happened to you. Social distancing's. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned <laughs> it impossible in football. If, as a player, you knew somebody had died of this, or a family member, or a friend of the family, then that's going to change your your mindset in terms of do you want to play this this end of this season? Mm. I mean, to just rush into it as fast as possible. It's. I mean, if they're going to say right, this is void, and we're going to focus on next season, and if we have to put it back a month, you know, blah blah blah, mm. so mm-hmm. be it. But we want to make sure the testing's right, et cetera, et cetera. Then, as a player, you think, well, okay, you know, due diligence is done here, so and this is my job, so okay. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a principal fucker. I would say no. If I knew somebody had died and had been affected from it, I would say sorry, sorry, Dean, I'm, I'm not fucking playing. This is a joke. Mm. Yeah, my little angle on this would be if. Say, for example, I don't know, Villa were playing... Say, for example, our game in hand is you know Villa-Sheffield United. Sheffield United say, we want to play this game. Villa get two players who are poorly and Villa go, do you know what, we refuse to play this game. And the Premier League say, well, sorry, all games are going ahead. You've got to play it. Do Villa then forfeit that match for morally doing the right thing? Because from my point of view, if my club got relegated because we morally did the right thing, I'd applaud every player and I'd say to the Premier League, fuck you. Thank you very much. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a similar thing like the racism thing. If you know, if walking off the pitch if you get abused. You know, if you're, for example, if you're a black player, you hear abuse and you just walk off. Now suddenly your team's down to ten men. If they want to play on, I mean, if your teammates go right, fuck this, we're we're backing you, and you all walk off. What what do the league do? Do they? Oh well, you walked off. You know, you're forfeiting the points three nil to the other team. But you've done the right thing. It's it's that similar kind of uh, moral. I think it's a, it's a it's a more literal thing. It's because it's a safety thing. It's kind of like um, you know with racism. There is a moral issue, and it's you know the difference between right or wrong. Walking off the field and keeping your teammates safe is potentially the difference between life or death. All of a sudden, you're taking the moral high ground, and you make the rest of the Premier League look like absolute idiots. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of principle, and we're, and we're, we're seeing uh, that. There seems to be a lack of principles. Well, there's definitely a lack of principles in you know in the media, for example, but you know also obviously in the Premier League. I always remember uh, if you doubt that I would actually back up my principles. I always remember as a kid, captain, captain in my uh, house football team. We're in, we're, so we're in the tournament, and the uh, the referee, obviously one of the teachers, doesn't like our, my goalkeeper in my team. And, you know, our goalkeeper played for the school and, you know, under 13, 14, whatever. I think it was under 15, that age. He was like, like a, the goalie in Kez. He was like a Sunday league the, uh, keeper. So he was like one of the best keepers. So, you know, this team, out of 11 players, there was me, the keeper, and our centre forward. But that was what's carrying us. Anyway, so that's the context. The goalkeeper takes, takes a goal kick, in, you know, out of his hands. And he's on the edge of the 18. I'm like, parallel with him he doesn't go out of his box but the ref the referee he doesn't like him historically bollocked him a few times doesn't like him blows for a free kick on the edge of the box our keeper says no way referee who's actually my tutor as well sends him off for saying no way perfectly reasonable 
I go up to him and I said, you what? <laughs> and he's my tutor. I said, you what? But you know, it's, I'm the captain of this fucking team. And you're like, you what? And then I just walked off. I wasn't sent off or anything. I just walked off. I mean, we got beat because suddenly the goalkeeper had disappeared and the captain had just walked off. <laughs> Probably wasn't the best decision in retrospect then. And it's the principle. It's the fucking principle, and I thought, this is absolute bullshit. He shouldn't have been sent off. But that, that's where it gets interesting, though, doesn't it? As I said, to use my previous example, if, if both if both sets of players, you know, if, if the both clubs say, we're happy to play, and both sets of players go, sorry, but the Premier League can yeah. do one, and our clubs can do one as well, then it gets really interesting, you know, because they talk about this is an actual, a real opportunity for genuine player power, because if the players refuse to play, it doesn't matter what the Premier League say. They can't do anything anything they can't physically force players to step on a field and perform next question mark a green 72 asks if we go down pessimist which players <laughs> leave us fingers crossed we don't of course well i think it's all this usual suspects i think i mean this is the thing if we if aston villa get relegated not because of anything we've done say for example they go oh points per I'd game force them to stay. or uh or they say oh no, okay season's void uh everybody you know bottom three current bottom three down i mean it's not going to happen because it goes through the law courts it'll get all messy but if it did then and then as a villa fan you're seeing that and you're feeling fuck that you know injustice and then you see mcginn and grealish and mings all go right sorry lads we you know we've got to go then you're thinking I don't want to watch this shit anymore. You can't go to games. That's half of it. And I think you'll feel, a, you'll, as it's, you know, as I think it was you, Chris, said uh, this may be the bubble that bursts. But I think, you know, Mings, I really think it could be. Grealish, McGinn, and uh, after that, who cares? <laughs> I was actually sitting here whilst you were talking, thinking, well, <laughs> would you, other than those three, I'll just follow the team that those three sign for. <laughs> so presumably Leeds or Albion. Um, <laughs> just to rub it in our noses. <laughs> I mean, what I would say is that I think that it would put some players in a potentially difficult position morally because, say for someone like Grealish, who is a Villa fan, if his club essentially got fucked over and got relegated because of that, could he morally be, be seen to go, Oh, but, by the way, Chris, just to let Chris, you know, Chris, 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 yeah. Problem that uh, nobody's going to be too bothered about paying anything silly for him. And he's getting paid, you know, he'll be paid decent enough money for him to say, oh, fuck it, I'll stay at this villa club. Uh, should we let him talk? <laughs> Can I talk now? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no my robot, <laughs> my death robot says no. <laughs> what did you want to say? Anything interesting? <laughs> that doesn't matter now. <laughs> I don't, want to, I don't want to, I'm taking my ball home. Fuck both of you. I don't blame you. Uh, do you want to say anything? Or I was going to say, Grealish will be aware of the fact that if he walked out on his boyhood club at that moment, he better make sure he's ready to probably never set foot in Birmingham again because he would be public fucking enemy number one if he did that. He wouldn't be welcoming Chris Bud's Sainsbury's local, that's for sure. I, I just, I know what our fans are like. But are I know, they? I know. There, I mean, there's, there's some, I, I know the exact ones you're talking about. But then the people who lick his arse who go, uh, oh, he deserves it. Oh, he's just, he's just worth everything. Yeah, he's too good Because I get to us. still be friends yeah. with him. Yeah, good one. This wasn't the question I expected you to be fully triggered on, Chris, I must admit. I thought it would be the next one. Mm. Oh, don't get me started on this. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Polina Komar asks, what is your favourite colour? Spelt the American way, so it must oh, be Lord. American uh, question. What is your favourite colour, Chris? Uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to go with gunmetal grey. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hang on, let me just consult my palette. Gunmetal grey. <laughs> I love the sp- I love the specificness of that. Only because I just bought a pair of trainers that were gunmetal. I've got to know what this colour is. Where have you bought spaceman trainers? I'm imagining spaceman NASA trainers. It's the same colour of what robots are, Dan. If you mm. need a quick reference, I always knew you were a droid, bud. No, I'm I'm, I'm a fembot. I've got <laughs> guns as boobs. <laughs> guns. As- <laughs> Come on, stay on target. Stay on target. My my favourite colour is, um. My favourite colour is... I, 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 I like orange, but I never, I'd never wear it. You know when you bite into a, a villa dog, that fleshy... It's not pink. It's not... <laughs> it's like a kind of rancid off-brown. It's like it's more pinky, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's pinky. Be- beigey pinky. Yeah, it, mm, that colour. Is that your favourite colour? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're fucking weird, eh? <laughs> Right, moving on swiftly. I hope that answered your question. Thanks, uh, Polina. Polina. Uh, Neil Glover... How many signings have been a success? None. None in the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Next. (laughs) Next, maybe Ben Teke was good. Recent signing, McGinn, I suppose. Uh, What else? On on valuation alone, I think he... Yeah. mm. I think Mings, because it's a big... uh, You can't say Mings because of the big price tag. So, you know, you've got to get your money's worth there. I think it was a good loan signing there. A really good loan signing. I think Engels might end up becoming a good signing in the long run. Yeah, not at the moment. But this is the not thing. The we You can't really... We bought potential. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't judge most of them in the here and now. Only McGinn, really. Mm. And probably Heaton, but, you know, then he got injured. So is it a great signing overall? Suddenly you, you drop in marks. Was Heaton 8 million? Ooh, yeah, not, I think so. He's not a good signing then if he hasn't played half a season. No. What are your highs of the season so far? Mm. I mean, considering... Uh, you look at the table a and few you, moments, you look at fair. the table mm. and you go, Oh shit. But actually we've had a, a good season. Yep. I mean, we had a great 
night against Leicester in the semi-final, we've been to fucking Wembley in a cup final, which was, you know, decent day mm-hmm. out, decent mm-hmm. game. You know, we were in last it, minute goals in it to the last minute. Uh, my high, yeah, you, my high, I'm gonna, of, I've got a singular moment. Dramas. Mm-hmm. My singular one was um, the Grealish goal, goal at Old Trafford. I thought that was a great, yeah, that great was goal. probably the best in terms of a moment. Of in a moment my yeah, favourite yeah. one was probably full time against Everton because that was the probably the height of the enthusiasm towards you the season. Go home. And everyone felt you always thought, you know what, we might we might actually have our villa back here. Because ah, at the yes. time you just said Everton were a very good side. Yeah. Um and you but, thought, oh, okay, hang on, we might have a team that can compete here. Our course, first win you know, of the season later, would have been, wouldn't it? First win, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our first win back. You thought, oh, do you know, it was obviously a warm yeah. night, great atmosphere. Yeah, was that really was a weird game. thing. You had this amazing atmosphere that was never repeated really. No. no. Apart from probably, you know, Leicester semi final, but obviously, you know, that's a one off Situation. Yeah, like the target last minute goal and yes. the Conza goal and yeah, there's been a couple of like sort of there's been lots of singular moments, mm. but no, no yeah. consistency. I mean, essentially, I think the obvious one for me is Leicester semi final. I thought it was uh, yeah, that was a really good night, a cracking cracking night, and uh, what a, you know what a way to finish because you're starting to think about penalties and then it's like hey, see you later, yeah. East Midlands bum chums. <laughs> <laughs> and then they and then they pumped us in the league twice. Yeah, well, that's Smith's fault because uh, there he had a team that's uh, held them both times. Well, held we should have beat them in the first leg as well if it wasn't for old Dougie Louise uh, and Conza as well. Changed the system as well as the keeper and uh, was shipping forward in each game. I think that was Smith's fault. Those two league games more than anything. Anyway, should we leave it at that? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Go, go, go. Uh, uh, we'll move on. Is that Diamid One McLean? Mr. Mm. McLean, where do you think Villa will be at the end of this decade? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Do we really have to gaze into the Villa crystal ball? In the 2030 season. Jesus Christ, that sounds a long way away. Once this virus mutates and wipes us all out within 10 years, I, I don't think we'll have to worry about this question. I'll just take existing. Sorry, was that, was that a bit bleak? <laughs> That's a bit glib. All oh, right, okay, sorry. Sorry, Chris, existing. <laughs> Any advances on existing? Uh, to be honest, it'll probably just be like the same old if it's Villa. We'll probably have had one little or two peaks where we hit a glass ceiling again and then we'll have a couple of seasons where we fall away and then we'll have a disaster in the middle somewhere and then we'll probably have another trip to Wembley. I would I would say, I mean, I would at least say this. I think what happens in the next six months is pivotal to this question. Mm, I, I agree. agree with that. I agree. I agree with that. Um, I then, think- then we'll see. If we get a second season in the Premier League, you will then start to see just how ambitious these owners yeah, are. I think we'll have no problems if we manage to reserve we our get status. Through this little sticky yeah. patch, yeah. Mm. This conundrum. This game on. <laughs> <laughs> if we get through this conundrum, we'll be all right. Uh, Sean Carroll asks, if games are played behind closed doors, will season ticket holders be reimbursed? Well, Villa haven't officially put anything out, but other clubs have, and they've done it weeks ago. So, you know, a bit slack on Villa. There's a couple of ways they could do it. It's like give you a credit back to put towards... Next season season ticket, but it doesn't look like, look like there's going to be a next season season <laughs> ticket. So I think they would have to give back a uh, a refund. And can I can I still use my five pound voucher from the uh, the Liverpool <laughs> game? Yeah, they got you there. <laughs> still they, got they, that <laughs> squirrelled away, hasn't he, bud? Got you there. <laughs> Villa played the long game on that one and won. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know clubs like I think it's Schalke in Germany, and you know they're like a top six German team. They were asking, actually, ask their fans. Oh, please don't 
ask for refunds. And that shows you how precarious mm-hmm. they were looking at this situation of like games, you know, seasons ahead with no fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, you got to get that refund back because as a person, you probably, uh, un- unless you really, really don't need it, you're probably going to be in a more precarious situation than a football club, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And, if, and absolutely. You know, it's, it's your life at the end of the day. Fizzy9 asks, name 10 debut goal scorers. Dion Dublin. What is this? Like any 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 team ever? No, it has to be Villa. I scored on my debut uh, for one school team. I remember that. <laughs> Villa, Chris Bird. I mean, Gabby did. We know that. Gabby did. Uh, Darren, Darren Ben, Darren ben did. did. Kevin Phillips did. Samata did. Codger did, didn't he? Samata league debut. Yeah. Famously, Saunders scored twice against Liverpool. Of course. Yeah. Tony Moon at Arsenal. Yeah. Mark Draper on the famous "You'll Never Win Anything with Kids" yeah. Man United mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan Moore. Yeah, Stefan Moore. Whatever happened to him? Did Luke Moore Ben Teke, of course. Ben Teke scored on his debut. He did. Yeah, that's got to be ten, surely. I'm not counting. I yeah, that's near enough ten, isn't it? Oh yeah, Merson as well. Merson scored. Magic yeah. Merson <laughs> scored by missing a penalty, didn't he? he? Missed a penalty and stuck the rebound away. You got an excellent memory. He's the only one out of us three that pays attention to games. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. This is Andy Bates from the Mad Few Group. If the season does resume in June, could it be an opportunity to see young players like Barry and Chukwemeka? Is that how you pronounce it? Carney, we're calling him. Carney? Yeah. Carney come into the setup. It might add that unknown quantity element and a bit of missing spark. You, you don't really blood players mm, no. when you're fighting a relegation no. battle. We've been there, I think. If only we were like Everton or Newcastle or someone like that right now, then you would, but no. Yeah, if you're mid-table, nothing to play for, that's when you blood them. Or, you know, if you're 27 points clear at the top, like a certain Scouse team, then you can blood them, I suppose. Rich Clark asks, and he, he asked many questions. A lot of them are trying to be too clever, Rich, but this is the one we liked the most. <laughs> this is the one you wouldn't let me see, and I can see why now. <laughs> Which former or current Villa manager would you most like as a butler? <laughs> David O'Leary. I'd go with with Tim Sherwood. Oh. Here's your breakfast, you slag. No, no. I I think, or maybe John Gregory. He'd be quite a good butler. No, no, no. You'd want David O'Leary to say, yes, sir, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Yes, sir. David, and and fetch me me my pipe. Yes, sir. There you go, sir. Where did you put Eric Bakker, David? (laughs) What do you want for breakfast, Mr. Bud? I don't know. I keep changing my mind. I know you fickle bastard. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd go David O'Leary. Who, Bud? Uh, I'm going to go with John Gregory. Dan Rogers. <laughs> it's easy for me. I'd get that useless, useless bastard Paul Lambert to bring me sandwiches. <laughs> and ex- and it- Paul, could you go and get me another one of those excuses out of your box of excuses, please? I mean, it depends. It's, it's like, do you want somebody to crush their soul into servitude just for revenge for what they did as the villa manager yes, yes. or do you want a good time you know like a bit of banter or whatever i think i'll go for the former i'd have oh, we have gerard julier recommending a fine wine to me uh, anyway so yeah that answers that right then into the part of the show that if you listen to the last show you may be uh looking forward to this section it's underrated and overrated villa players from yesteryear Right, we're going to begin, should we go with Dan Rogers' nomination here? This is where we pick three Villa players randomly and uh, just discuss them in terms of uh, if you would consider them underrated or overrated. So, uh, Mr. Rogers' first pick here 
Is Mathieu Bursant underrated or overrated? Give us some backstory for those listeners who have never heard uh, of this uh, this French gem that washed up on our shores. <laughs> it washed up indeed. Let me <laughs> let me take you back. Close your eyes. This is the David O'Leary era. So cast your minds back, Villa Faithful. It's 2004. You can leave your house whenever you want to. We had £1.6 million and we'd pursued day and night for months. Mathieu Bursant of FC Nantes. <laughs> FC Nantes. <laughs> Excuse the inner child in me there. Um, <laughs> and we repeatedly went in for, for Bursant. It was, it was the classic summer um, chase, the must-have midfield, the classic Villa big build-up. Um, and we got the midfielder. Oh, it did. It did get a kind of quite rabid, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. Was, it was. It was. Well, we. It was one million. It was refused. It was one point one million. It was refused. Yeah. It was one point one 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 million. This was the Doug Ellis era. Don't forget. <laughs> you know, it was in. It was in loose change as well. Not even in. in not even in francs. <laughs> was it francs or euros then? I don't know. But he was a. He was a supposed to be a classy central midfielder. So he'd won the the French Championship and he had two two domestic. Cups in France and he signed. I thought Leon won everything in those days. Well, this is a mark of this is this was how good Mathieu Bursson <laughs> was. He, we we got him. We got him on a three year deal. Now he was signed at the same time as uh, uh, Manchester United's high flying midfielder Eric Jemba Jemba joined Aston Villa. And he. So, th- th- this is all the context. This you need to know this, David. It's important. Yeah, well, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> and but Bursson begged begged Nance to sell him to Villa, uh, but he didn't then appear until Boxing Day 2004 and had, it was a classic brief cup cameo before it. He got into the team versus Chelsea. This was only because McCann and Hitzelsberger were injured. The context, this was at a time we couldn't even afford to sign Eric Backer, bloody Norwegians. But let, let me let me just interject here because you're looking at this team and you're going, yeah, we could do with some upgrades in midfield. Desperately. McCann, Hitzelsberger, they're not exactly uh, all singing and dancing no. uh, midfield stalwarts for us. So... Uh, you know, we were thinking, oh, ex-Man United player, Jemba Jemba. Uh-uh. But Burson was the one that, uh, you know, that was a bit of chicness to him. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, hopefully, you know, please, please, please be good. Well, this was a player who we, we presumably bought or we, we was badged as buying on the ascendancy in his career as well. This yeah. wasn't a, a moneyball player. And then he went on to just make just 11 appearances. That was just seven Premier League starts. Now, this was badged as a, you know, a fail to settle and uh, O'Leary uh, was, was uh, shown the door during that first season. And there was some suggestion there was a language barrier. Isn't it funny that any French player that comes to Villa, they, they say there's a language barrier. Do you think they should really get a French, maybe get a French translator? I mean, Didier Cisse, you know, came from a all singing, all dancing mm. French national team that were the European champions at the time with Platini. And, uh, you know, he played, I think he had a good debut. I think he played against Manchester United. We beat him 3-0 at Villa Park and then he kind of disappeared and he was mm-hmm. going to be uh, like a legitimate reinforcement of that uh, European Cup winning team that was suddenly started to fade very quickly and then you look at the players of the relegation season Veretou yep 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 and the other French league players and uh, we're not doing that Chris can you think of any good anybody good that worked well from France for Villa Remy God Ginola 
Well, even that, that was like, he was past his sell-by date, wasn't he? He was just on the last paycheck. Yeah, he was fat as well. Last paycheck. <laughs> this is true. No, we haven't got good, uh, haven't got good pedigree, have we, with, uh, with French flag? Our Anglo-French relations are pretty poor. Ironically, there's a French rock group called Aston Villa. Yes, there is. There is. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Sorry, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, uh, and it all went wrong very, very quickly for, for Burson, who I think became quite disillusioned, really, and his, his agent at the time was very quick to, to push, even saying, there's been contact with Espanyol and Mathieu is keen to go to Barcelona. I think he had lofty ambitions, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Um, he... he Swiftly loaned out to Auxerre and he was eventually sold to Levante, uh, where he was swiftly relegated. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> uh, there was a brief upturn thereafter when he uh, played with Toulouse, but he pretty much drifted out of the game prematurely. Um, my my favourite part of, of this walk down memory lane is his... Was this his bitter... <laughs> this is, I mean, judging on the last uh, edition <laughs> of uh, underrated or overrated, this is where you could potentially swing it on... Mm. I mean, it impressed me last time. Who was it? Najran Gurieb. Yeah, his his bitter retort against uh, Alan bitter. Wright that that gave that, that that led me down the path of saying he was underrated. So let's see what this guy can do, Burson. So on reflecting at his, his time at Villa, Burson had this to say: "My spell at Villa has been of no benefit to me at all." <laughs> <laughs> Villa's management told me what my role would be, but once I joined them, I found little evidence of what they promised. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I've no regrets at all at having joined Orcs Hair. I mean, damning. We had, we've had a few of these players, mm. midfielders that are meant to be good on the ball. But he was a guy that, that was good on the ball, at least if he had 20 minutes on the ball and mm. to make like a five-yard pass. That was yeah. about the limitations of what he could do. He could make that five-yard pass if he gave him 20 minutes to make it. <laughs> Yeah, he gave you legs in like an eight-man midfield as well. So. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's like John McCune or John 2 McCune. John de uh, McCune and his jumpers. Carlos Sanchez. Oh, uh, little, you know, actually Douglas Louise at the moment. These kind of uh, mm-hmm. tempered tempered pace kind of ball-playing midfielders who the Premier League's just a bit, or the English game even, is maybe a bit too fast-paced for them mm-hmm. unless, unless they're playing in a team that can just control a game with possession. So, with that in mind, Mathieu Burson. Underrated or overrated? I'm going to go overrated in his own head if he's talking Barcelona. Yeah, it's got to be overrated, this one. Matthew Burson is overrated. Although I did like that quote, my spell at Avila has been of no benefit to me at all. (laughs) Not even financially, evidently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just threw the money away. Thanks, Doug. Right, let's move on to uh, underrated or overrated. Number two, uh, Mr. Darren Bent. Uh, I wanted to pick somebody who you could have a bit of a debate on. wasn't wasn't like a joker in the pack, so to speak, which we do tend to lean to. Uh, Phil Hood on uh, the Madfew Facebook group also suggested Bent would be a good one. So here he is. This was the guy, I mean, if you were ultimately to sum up Darren Bent, he was the guy that you just wish was at Villa like two seasons before mm-hmm. when Aston Villa were pretty much a decent midfielder and a 20-goal-a-season striker away from the Champions League, in my opinion. and uh, It you know. pains me. I always mm-hmm. say that we bought Ben a year too late. Yeah. I think if we'd have had him the year before, we'd have probably got top four and we'd have probably won a trophy. But, you know, let's let's not forget that... He was at Spurs for a couple of seasons. This is well, you know, when Martin O'Neill was there, seven, you know, two thousand seven to two thousand and nine, and they just thought, well, surplus to requirements. I mean, he, his record at Villa 
was better than it was at Spurs. I think he scored uh, probably three more uh, goals in very similar amount of games. But he went to Sunderland then in 2009. So he was up, you know, he was up for the taking there. And that yep. was when we needed. Yep. That was that when Lerner. Well, what? Who did we get instead? Marlon Harewood. Harewood and Heskey. So he was available. He he was uh, over a goal every every other game for Sunderland in a Steve Bruce team. Yeah, thirty two in about fifty eight appearances. I don't know if that's just league. Mm. So he he potentially was available because Spurs was you know getting rid and we'd have got him at a fraction of the price that we actually got off Sunderland. He was doing you know he was Sunderland's one of their top performers in a January window. So we paid way you know way over the odds. I mean mm-hmm. ultimately it probably didn't go up to all the add-ons. Uh, so we we paid at least eighteen million, but it was a record signing. And I mean everybody's his Villa legacy, his, his goals kept us up that season. I mean he scored in his debut against Manchester City in the one nil win. Mm-hmm. And then the goals kept us up and then we got to quickly see his limitations i mean mcleish came in and the problem was uh i mean i think he had a minor injury but then he had a proper injury that i think ruptured ligaments uh, against wigan i think it was february 2012 that's when robbie Keane uh, was uh, drafted in and actually that was that kind of worked out because robbie Keane was a bit more of an all-rounder Is that really eight years ago that's insane yeah, and that kind of sparked uh, a little renaissance, which was mm. enough to kind of carry us over the line ultimately. But Darren Bent's legacy is, uh, is his injuries. But after that, when he came back, I mean, he took over from Petrov when Petrov was diagnosed with leukemia as the interim captain. But he was just too limited the way mm-hmm. we were playing, just to have that poacher forward. And his job was as, it was a six-yard box striker. Yeah, and we were starting to play with one up front, and he was useless on his own. And suddenly he became the you know the big one of the biggest wastes of you know money that we've made because I don't know how many seasons his contract was. You could argue that you know goals kept us up that season, and you know the cost of staying in the Premier League uh, it pays for itself. And okay, you can tick the box and say, well, that bent uh, signing mm. did the job. But if you bought him, as Chris said, like a, a season before, two seasons before when Sunderland uh, bought him, then you're looking that he could have made, uh, you could have been talking about a player that gets us up to the next level, that gets us into the Champions League. But was he a Champions League? Because he's he's never really had success. No. I wouldn't have said so. At a top-level team. I mean, he he made his name really uh, at shot. I mean, he went from Ipswich to Charlton. Is he a classic expensive English, sorry, British striker yeah. if he was any other league it wouldn't he wouldn't have been as inflated in terms of price because people no, think no of because people think of him as like because he got in the england team so and a lot of that i mean it was obviously why he was at Sunderland, but because he played for spurs it, you, you get that kind of mm. uh aura that you're a big time player but yeah, i don't i don't think he was legit i mean i you know he was on there was a clip going around social media where one of the little skits they did was they would name current premier league strikers who were like you know some of the best players and they would say would you rate yourself above him and he pretty much said yes he backed himself against all these guys i think harry kane was the only one he kind of submitted to so he you know he's obviously full of himself mm. i don't know i mean his time at villa soured over the whole shopping incident and that kind of turned fans against him and then when you're not playing regularly uh, because of injury i mean first it was injury then it was kind of bomb squad stroke uh, out of form and then Benteke came along and that was you know game set and match but I think the more I'm talking here the more inevitable uh, which way we're going with Mr. Bent I mean it depends how much you value keeping us up under the Gerard Houllier years but I'm going to go uh, overrated on this one yeah I'm going to agree with you on that in the over the over the course of his contract I'm sure we didn't make any money on him did we we virtually released him 
Yeah. So we lost. Yeah, it wasn't even like a player that we recouped any money on. No, we were shuffling him out on loan wherever we could. I think he went to Fulham, Derby, then Derby, I think, signed him. I don't know if they just tore up his contract or, or whatever, paid him off and let him go. And then he ended up, ended up at Burton and, you know, it, it was just, he just kind of faded miserably, mm. uh, you know, out of view. As so many of these English players do, they have maybe one good season, couple of good seasons, and then it all gets overhyped and then they just fade I'm going to dissent. I'm going to go that he was underrated for Aston Villa. And the reason why is, I think he, it's not his fault he was bought two years too late. He did keep us up in part, I think, through his goals at the back end of the Julia era. Uh-huh. And he then found himself in the collapse of the learner regime. And I think Fair. Uh, the, the, I think a Darren Bent of 2009, when he's smashing in goals for Sunderland with Steve Bruce, was... A, a different beast, the one that the, the Darren Bent, the less <laughs> the Darren Bent that, that, that left. Oh, I love Tottenham. it when you start talking about beasts. <laughs> he was a different robot to the one that we signed. And to be honest, like as, as Chris and you, you both just said, really, that his 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 star was faded and he left Aston Villa, as many players do, broken and having yeah, by the whole and, experience. Uh, to quote someone else, uh, his spell at Villa had had no benefit to him at all. <laughs> <laughs> to quote you uh, last week, he he saw the watering hole, but he just got <laughs> stuck, stuck in the in mud, the mud. <laughs> and his carcass rotted, and he en- ended up at Burton Albion <laughs> uh, on, the, on the carcass of Jordan Barry. <laughs> Anyway, but it's it's good uh, to see if he ever gets sent into any trouble or, or makes any misdemeanors. Maybe you can be his defence lawyer in the future. We'll pass your number on to him. Anyway, Mr. Chris Bird, your uh, under or overrated candidate, please. So my candidate is the enigmatic Neil Lamptey, who we bought in the ninety four ninety five season under Ron Atkinson. Is he overrated or is he underrated? Are we talking about the next Pelé? <laughs> We are talking about the next Pelé, David, yes. <laughs> One of the most hyped players in Europe at the time. Apparently we got from Anderlecht and he'd had a you know a difficult life as a child and he'd virtually run away from home, sneaked over the border into Nigeria and gone to a football camp there and managed to work his way up into the Ghanaian national team who at the time were like world beaters. So all these youth tournaments where you'd have players like Totti and Del Piero, he was muted as being the main guy. Yeah. Went to Belgium, you know, as a you know, hugely hyped young player. Got into the team as about I think he was about sixteen or something when he got into the first team there. One of the youngest ever. Scored goals and you know deserved his um, his move to England. You know, on the face of it, was a good move for him. He was bought in the summer of '94, so Villa had won the Coca Cola Cup. Yeah. Villa were a sort of a side, you know, slightly aging team. You would say, yeah, you know, yeah. Still had Saunders and Atkinson ahead of him in the pecking order. You can, order you can see front. how Ron's mind's ticking here. He's thinking Lamperty and Fashionu. This could be the dream. Exactly. The dream yeah, and, ticket and with, uh, with with Phil King backing him up. Yeah. That was the that was the summer business that year. <laughs> So of course, you know, it was a player who came with great promise, and then I think he, he scored a wonder goal against Wigan in the Coca Cola mm-hmm. Cup. Um, Must have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, we beat them five 0 in the first. This is back when it was two legged games in the early rounds. Yeah. What a waste of time that mm. was! And I think he scored in the away leg. So his his only goals he can claim are against Wigan, and he barely got a sniff after that. And um, his his Villa career bombed. I think he ended up going to Coventry with with Atkinson. Obviously, when when Big Ron left. 
later that season and um and then his life after that was you know really tragic when you when you read articles about what happened to him you know he lost various children his agent fucked him over where basically he was <laughs> it was almost like slave trade where he would only sell Lamptey to a club where he could get the best price and take 25% of the transfer sum for himself so he was one of these players, a little bit like with the Tevez saga a few years ago, where there was all this sort of third-party ownership. And basically his agent, yeah. very early in his career, because Lamptey had come from you know, a village in, in um, rural Ghana, he, was, you know, he wasn't particularly educated. He, you know, he puts a contract in front of him. He didn't have a clue what he was signing. So throughout his career, he was just passed around like a parcel. You know, all over Europe after he left um, England, his career was plagued by injuries. It's been a shock waking up in Coventry as well. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, you know your career's gone to shit. Was you that know, was that when Ron Atkinson at, was at Coventry? Did he buy him again? Yeah, it was the same yeah. season. So when, obviously, when when uh, when Big Ron left Villa when he'd been sacked, took over at Coventry and took uh, took Lamptey with him. And then mm. later in his life, you know, he lost a couple of siblings. Apparently, he found out that three of his surviving children weren't biologically his. You know, he'd previously lost. You know, he just had a really tragic life. This guy. The more you read the articles, it's and I'd recommend anybody to do that. It's it's really sad, you know, as much as you know. We're talking about his on-field antics. The, the his life away from football was just so sad. Mm. How it you know was so hyped to be you know potentially what should have been a life you know amongst the greats and just nosedived. In terms of time at Villa, how long did he last? Just for the listeners, so they have a. a it was grasp. literally the one season, a sole season. At Villa and didn't play many games in that time. I think he maybe maybe had sort of ten appearances. He was very much a bit part player, and you know I think he he was a small guy, a very sort of tricky player. He never never get like so many. Never got up to the pace and the physicality of the league, and never managed to budge. Sorry, Barry you know, Bannon, are we talking about Barry Bannon? Ah, yes, the other the other because uh... I remember Ron Atkinson came out with some perler quotes. I can't remember. Was he he wasn't the one who called him the next Pele? Was he? <laughs> No, I don't think so. Yeah, I can't remember what he said, but uh, so uh, what, why did it go wrong for him at Villa per se? I think it was just his lack of, you know, physicality. He just he just couldn't settle. Obviously, this is a, you know, you're talking about an era before the days of, um, you know, player liaisons and you know the language barrier won't have helped. I'm sure, and you know, just to to get a, a foreign player from such a um, far flung part of the world to come and settle was was going to be difficult and it was obviously a big a big roll of the dice that didn't really work you know it could it could have been an amazing you know find and I'm sure on paper they probably thought wow he's you know he ticks all the boxes yeah, for this, what we're looking for never mind the next Pele this could be the next Dwight York well or at the time of course we'd we just we'd um you know we'd previously got rid of Tony Daly so of course he yeah. was looking at that sort of tricky fast dynamic player which Ron always used to like and obviously at that point York at that season hadn't he was only just starting to really come into the play he you know, it became the season after, but it, it just never worked for him at Villa. Lamptey was in a, in a clutch of players, wasn't he? Particularly in the early nineties, where we were, it was almost like we were trying to recreate recreate the Dwight York when we were the, the plucking the player yeah. from nowhere. We did it with an, yeah. an numerous, at least two Germans that I, I can recall. Yeah, we had bright bright crews, and we had was it Beinlich as well? Was it as well? These, these ran, yeah, Beinlich as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were three were the, the Italian uh, Fabrizi and uh, Ferrarese. Yeah, sorry, Fabio Ferrarese. Yeah, you know, who, 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 that was, that was a bit later, wasn't it? Well. Was two Slovakians, wasn't there? Yeah, cheeky girls. Stavos, Ivo Stavos. Yes, then like thousands of people turned up for his debut, and he and he didn't come out. Yeah, classic. 
I think it was the it was the that era I always sort of look back on now and think the the mid nineties or certainly the early to mid nineties were the the early days of squad filler. They were. You know, I always think you, you, you never you really used to get that in the in the sort of the eighties. From what I gather, you know, you had your you know the days of sort of two subs, mm. and then once the, the number of subs started increasing, it would seem to correspond with the number of players you'd have as squad filler and obscure youth team players as yeah. well. Yeah, I was going to say it was it was this period where the floodgates kind of opened for overseas correct. players. Correct. Correct. So that caused a bit of panic buying I, I th- think I was about to say I think clubs Villa Villa were guilty of this for many or throughout the 90s yeah. were, were beguiled by an overseas footballer because we, we it took us many years to, to get one that, that actually looked like a footballer <laughs> you know <laughs> and you were doing the Neil Lamptey um, you know you arrived being described as Pele in a you know in this day and age um, you know players come with come with a little bit of uh, scouting you know you couldn't you no one knew this guy from adam really if i was a bit older then i would have put myself up to be a, an agent and <laughs> i would be on the doorstep at villa park every summer saying oh i've got this guy from czechoslovakia oh, i've got this guy from uh, kenya that <laughs> they're going to be the next maradona i mean with villa weren't villa weren't isolated so i remember southampton got tricked into putting on some guy who said he was george Weyer's <laughs> nephew or something like that you know who ah the legendary Ali Dyer wasn't it yeah he lasted about a quarter of an hour didn't yeah, he and then, the... um, it was Graham Souness wasn't it I think yeah. was the manager and he, he, but he put he him actually on he brought played. him on and had to sub him back off he couldn't he couldn't run it's a great story that is <laughs> it's a brilliant story though it is a good story uh, at least Lamptey resembled a footballer it was, it's, it's funny isn't it you look back at those here and you think you know United looked out on you know Cantona and Schmeichel and hmm. You know, you look at like what Leeds had done finding Tony Yeboa and various other, you know, really yeah. you know, iconic foreign Premier League players. And then you look at what Villa were getting at the time and you just think, oh, Jesus Christ. They were reacting to a fashion, I, I would say, 100%. Mm. Oh, well, because I think our next foray would have been like, that was Milosevic's and, and those, you know, yeah. huge gambles, yeah. huge gambles. Yeah. I mean, I know he went on to have a much better career, but that's that's a story for another day. But so did Balaban. I mean, he went to uh, FC Bruges and scored probably more goals than he actually made appearances. <laughs> but at Villa, he didn't do jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Anyway, that's enough of that. We any any ideas for? Uh... We haven't said whether he's overrated or underrated. All oh, right. Yeah. Where do we need to? <laughs> <laughs> the next Pele. Overrated. Overrated. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say very sadly overrated. Unfortunately for the guy, but I hope he's all right now. Has he got three children who look like Ron Atkinson? Is that, is that harsh? <laughs> God. Come on. Is that enough bad luck? He has, he has. He has. He has. He has. He has. He has. And now he's got the Rogers digging him out. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. I don't know who's doing his PR, but I mean, I remember the hype at the time, and that be- that became his legacy. Was Villa fans would laugh about him, not mm-hmm. not at him, but they- well, he's another Freddie Adu, isn't he? And oh, players Freddie like that, who were just so overhyped. But they would be laughing at the hype more than the actual player himself when they look back. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's got to be uh, overrated just because of the hype, and uh, yeah. he, he never <laughs> really had a chance. <laughs> oh, meet this guy. He's uh, you know you walk into the uh, the changing room to introduce him to your teammates. Oh, by the way, this is the next Pele. Pleased to meet you. Pressure's on. <laughs> Want to buy some Viagra? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right now let's round off the show uh, with a quick legend or fraud or pharaoh or forlo. Uh, basically, 
we look at uh, players that uh, in this modern age, everybody calls them a legend. So this segment of the show is to evaluate, is he really a Villa legend or is this just typical modern day hype? But we have three categories that we like to uh, slot him into. Either, either yes, he is a uh, legitimate legend. B, is a hero, a Villa fan hero, as in he's done pretty good stuff. Or he's a cult favourite, which could mean that he may be not that good, but we loved him. Or, yeah, he, he was actually good, but not like uh, a Perpantheon player. Dion Dublin. This is when I was living in Australia most of the time, Dion Dublin. So I never really visited Villa Park and watched him a lot. You know, we're talking a handful of games as opposed to, you know, going every game. What's your views, Bud on the Dublin? Bud on the dub. Bud on the dub. I was always a fan, especially the first couple of seasons when he arrived. I mean, that you know, he came off the bat and he was just unbelievable, wasn't he? Was it seven in three games or something? He should have had yeah. three hat-tricks yeah, in his yeah, first yeah, three yeah. games. He had goals disallowed. It was crazy. We thought, oh God, here we go. You know, we were top of the table at the time and got this guy who's come off the bat and just exploded it was like geez we're the real deal this mm-hmm. season and then you know the team faded and I think I always liked him I thought you know he was a proper proper old-fashioned English sort of centre forward um, it was a bit like Chris Sambury could play up front and at centre back <laughs> well he did didn't he, he played centre back later in his career for Villa and yeah. um, I thought the moment that changed it was when he broke his neck Chris well I, I, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> say this in there. unbelievable I saw the headline I remember you know a bit younger then and he saw it break his neck and and I and I was, I was thought back then, if you break your neck, that means you're dead. There's like no way back from it. He must have like it. cracked a vertebrae or something. It was a nasty injury, wasn't it? He was around for a while. Because I remember that year was the, the, obviously the year we got to the cup final. And he scored the winning penalty against Bolton at, uh, at Wembley in the semi-final. Mm. Well, Dion Dublin has the chance. Thanks to David James' second save. He wondered whether he would ever play again, let alone play again this season. Now, Dion Dublin has a chance to play in an FA Cup final. If he scores, Villa are there. Is this fate? Yes, it is. Dion Dublin puts Aston Villa's return ticket to Wembley. That was kind of like his little redemption, mm. of, and you know, it went up in everyone's estimation. And then it, it kind of just sort of faded for him a little bit he, he, when uh, when yeah. uh, Pablo Angel came in and Vassell came to the fore, and it, all of a sudden he wasn't really mobile enough yeah. to be. Dub- Dublin kind of was the another striker we bought probably three or four years too late that he he was left at Coventry. He always scored goals in a dreadful Coventry team, and they they would always finish fourth bottom. I always remember that sort of time, and uh, he scored like you say, he scored goals for fun really, but he. He was on the. It was in the twilight of his career, really. At that point, we got a couple of good seasons, mm. but he was. He just. He was. His he became career more immobile, faded. didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. And by that point, I think the game had changed, and because we had people like Vassell and Angel, who were just they were just far more mobile, and the game had speeded up. He didn't just play with a, you know a target man striker no, no. back then. He was there for about six years or so. I mean, I think wow. uh, age wise, yeah. I think he was like twenty nine. He was, and then on on from that. So yeah, he was in his. Yeah, late, I always early remember 30s. him sort of. Yeah, the end of his time at Villa really came when Graham Taylor came back. Where, of course, you know, one of his more legendary moments in that infamous yeah. derby game at Villa Park, where he headbutted Savage. Of How course. could we forget? How could we forget? And I, I, to be honest, he always came across a really nice guy, thoroughly nice chap, a really good professional. Like you don't see too many people with bad things to say about him. Yeah. So. Apart from the headbutting, very good professional. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he was good, he was, uh, as Chris rightly said, he was at that stage where the Premier League still had some characters in it and 
Yeah. Also had some strikers who, they were a bit raw as well and they were unpredictable, but Dublin knew where the net was and he was a, a good, I don't want to disservice say he was an old-fashioned striker, but he was a, he, he wasn't as, as refined maybe as many modern strikers are trying to, to score a goal in a certain way. He, he could bag a goal and score a header as well. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was probably what you'd call an out-and-out number yeah, nine yeah, rather yeah. than a modern number 10. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he, I don't think he would have necessarily been a great up front on his own kind of player, but he was great with the, you know, the sort of the big man, little great man. Great positionally as well. Came very to, natural. Yeah, yeah. Came very yeah. natural too. Yeah. And a really good leader. Mm. Yeah, the season before, I mean, he scored like 23 goals or something for, for Coventry. And mm. I think it was he, he was left out of the uh, 98 uh, World Cup squad, I think because, you know, it was Owen Shearer, was it? Mm. Yeah, and you would have had people like Ferdinand, Sheringham, Wright, you know, the list of... This was back when most teams had a top quality English striker who was a, at least a 15 goals a season yeah. player. Look, now try and find them. Chris Sutton as well was a, was about. It, well, he was the one who refused to play for England, didn't he? Glenn Hoddle said you will never play for England yeah, again. He refused, he to, play refused to, to play for the B team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, even had like Matt Letizia, of course. It's it's a crazy era of English strikers, yeah, yeah. really. Andy Cole, of course, as well. Mm. I mean, is Dublin is he remembered as as a as a kind of a hero? I, I don't think he's a legend because uh, he, he never really won anything, no. and uh, no. it's not like he was with some legendary team or or remembered for that. Really, I mean, probably Bolton semi final was his biggest moment for Villa. And- well, I suppose his biggest moment for Villa was those first, yeah those first three games when he yeah. But I mean, just, I'm, you know, I'm talking in terms of honours. That was probably about as close yeah. as close as you, you could get. Yeah, and obviously playing in the in the cup final, but. He was always part, he'll, you know, he'll be forever associated with that Gregory era of the nearly men, mm, you know, yeah. who could have gone on and done some great things, but just never quite did. And then, you know, when Ellis' ambition sort of dried up and we just never managed to push on. But that's not Dublin's fault. So uh, no. how are you going to grade him? It's a cult favourite for me. I'd go with the same, actually, because I think if you asked most Villa fans, what is your favourite memory of Dion Dublin, they would probably say nutting Robbie Savage. Yeah, I'm going to go cult favourite as well. I mean, personally, I saw York leave and I was pissed mm-hmm. off. And then you think, oh, we're getting Dublin in that Coventry striker. It was somebody who, against my initial uh, impressions, he's somebody who was a good servant, I think, ultimately, and was better than I expected. So, you know, I'll definitely go uh, a cult favourite, I would say. On that note. We have to ask the question, will there ever be a Villa legend? Well, stay tuned and find out. Right, until we uh, slip off into the lockdown, just one to uh thanks everybody for listening once again please do uh, subscribe on spotify apple whatever you listen to please do buy a mug as well from the uh, the shop there should be a few more items in there in the next week or so so look out for them most of all be a patron because you'll get extra shows and uh, offers maybe in uh, behind closed door seasons we'll run a competition for patrons to smuggle you into villa park through the underground tunnel that we are currently building or digging should I say <laughs> patron only access <laughs> yeah. our eyes will pop up underneath Dean Smith's feet Potch's feet Potch's feet po- po- sorry Potch's feet <laughs> right uh, thank you very much for joining us once again thank you very much Mr. Dan Rogers Mr. Chris Bud. and until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye, goodbye.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.